0: From Chicago, welcome to 3Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry.
1: So I would say the first thing I learned when I was a young man actually working for my dad is your handshake. Your handshake is your word. So you have to have integrity. You have to be totally transparent with the customer what's actually taking place. If you can or cannot, service that customer. I guess the hardest part of uh, sales or business development, whatever term we want to use today, is just really striking up that first conversation. Everybody's always nervous. So it's, it's, it's people connecting with people. And then it's people connecting with problems that it's solutions to fix your problem, especially in this role. So that's, that's to, in my role, that's, it's, that, it's that easy.
0: That's Craig Beaumier. Craig is the Director of Business Development and Accurate Praising. Craig's career spans all forms and facets of business development and sales and he has worked in companies of all sizes, from mom-and-pop operations to Fortune 10 companies. He's a military veteran and joins the show today to talk about the importance of thermal post-processing in metal-added manufacturing. Before we get started, head over over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, Craig, I'm excited for the conversation today. We haven't had kind of a true post-processing discussion on the podcast, um, and so I think this will be a really good uh some good insight from from all the work that you guys do so i like to start all of my episodes with kind of more about the personal side kind of uh of who i'm talking to kind of where'd you grow up kind of what got you kind of on the path towards uh where you are today
1: uh, that's a great question my my career is kind of it's busy to say the better lack of words so i grew up in the inner east side of cleveland i grew up in a blue collar family i tend to clean up all the schools I uh, was when one of those kids who were bust. That's probably a saving grace because I was probably sent to one of the first STEM schools. We call it magnet schools back then. And that really drove my interest in science and math, mostly science. Uh, throughout high school, the sports stuff of that nature. My dad was a electrician contract worker. And my mom was a teacher. So I grew up both kind of in the educational side, but on the blue collar side. And I did both. I went to Kent State University, did my degree in education, exercise, physiology, uh, joined the navy i, I wanted to be a par doctor i uh, was involved in a few conflicts in the military and that kind of gave my insight of material and different types of material and then when i came out of the military i um taught school for two years but I was crude and in, into uh, sales i started my career in medical sales i uh, spent about 15 years of medical sales uh, first 11 years with johnson and johnson then i got the startup bug started doing a bunch of startups uh, in the late 90s early 2000 They got exposed to more materials. What's really interesting is that I got to see ceramics and titanium and stuff of that nature. And during that career change, uh, there was a little change in the industry uh, during one of the administrations, and it kind of moved me over to the capital size of equipment, selling large equipment, uh, big equipment for the material industry. And I went to work for a company called Quintus for about four years. And then during Quintus, I got a chance to sell hips and different technologies, got to meet a great, bunch of great, amazing people. And I got into the post-processing side where I landed here today.
0: Awesome. And so I'm always fascinated. I'm an engineer, introvert by, by nature. So on the, I'm always an admirer of people who do sales and the way that they are interact and kind of watch, watch how they work. So, I mean, give your, uh, Give your two cents. What what's kind of the the key things that kind of uh, a rube like me needs to know about kind of sales and and what have you learned over your career on on that front? Just as kind of we talk a lot about engineering, and we'll get into that here. But I think just as important in terms of thinking how a, a full business functions, you have to interact with people, you have to convince them of your product. But what what have you learned over that period of of your career and all the experience that you have on on that front?
1: That's a great question. I would say the first thing I learned when I was a young man actually working for my dad is your handshake. Your handshake is your word. So you have to have integrity. have to be totally transparent with the customer what's actually taking place. If you can or cannot service that customer. I guess the hardest part of uh, sales or business development, whatever term we want to use today, is just really striking up that first conversation. Everybody's always nervous. So it's, it's, it's people connecting with people. And then it's people connecting with problems, then it's solutions to fix your problem especially in this role. So that's, that's in my role, it's that that easy. I just see it as simple as that. Um, Some people try to make it more difficult than that, but we're people, we're human beings, we interact on a daily basis and we just have to be comfortable with each other and we have to be honest. And integrity is a big, big, big issue for me. You have to have strong integrity. You just won't be successful at all in this business.
0: And when was your first introduction to additive manufacturing? When did that come across your radar?
1: And when I was working at Quintus, when we were, uh, when I was selling the hips, I first got hired over at Quintus, and AM was really taking off. You know, With the hips and stuff, when I was selling hips, we were really focusing on men and castings, but as AM was developing, more and more exposure to the AM market, which was quite fascinating. And when I started, looking, when I started getting exposed to AM, there's still a lot of plastics going on. But then the metal printers started to really produce some parts, especially GE driving that, and was exposed to a lot of different products uh, across the footprint with, with customers and stuff.
0: And so for those who may be more familiar on the plastic side or not super familiar with metal 3D printing, do you want to just go through kind of what is HIP and, and how does that fit into the overall process of, of 3D printing and production manufacturing? Like, what is it? Why do people need it? Why do people use it?
1: Well, you know, it's funny, you know, HIPPing, when you look at the history of HIPPing, you know, HIPPing really started, Code hashtag Press started back in the 30s. 1939, some of that nature. Then hot isostatic pressing really started growing some legs in the 40s between Patel Institute in Columbus and Quintus in Sweden. But first commercial use was done by Ketametal as well as uh, Howmet Arconic. And what they saw hip can force you know, it's time over temperature with pressure, right? Equal amounts of force of pressure on a part to basically squeeze or remove the internal porosities, but increase the ductility and the strength of the part. And that's all hip. That's really what hipping is. It's time over temperature. You're pretty much getting that, that metal to a plastic state. You're keeping it near that shape, using isostatic pressure, and just removing that, uh, that uh, microprocessing part and keeping it as near that shape. So that's the basis of, of hipping. So when you look at the history of hipping, that's really what it took off with the titaniums and stuff of that nature here in the United States. And a lot of engineers start seeing if I have an imperfect part, especially internal porosity, I can improve that part without scrapping it, decreasing my scrap rate. So when you look at the history, it's how it really
0: took off. And so it's really, it sounds like a balance between, I mean, you said time over temperature, but if it's the temperature is too high, you're going to melt something and you're going right. to re- remove your shape or, or something's going to go wrong. Too, too much pressure, same idea. And... Uh, it's really time over that, temperature, pressure. It's all about that yep, pressure. Yep. yep. And with with that, I mean, what... Why is it special for, for added manufacturing? And it seems like every everyone I talk to and a lot of the certainly the, the metals folks like hipping always comes into the conversation or oftentimes is it a requirement do you think for most metal manufactured added manufactured parts or is it something that just really augments the, the process
1: it Augments. it's complementary because you're looking at you're taking old data from the casting days right and now we know we're here in additive you just can't use a traditional hip cycle we have to use a unique hip cycle for some of this material and ideally they in additive, we like to get away from hip, like just stress to cut off, cut off stress relief parts, stuff of that nature. But some of these parts you have to hip it to improve the ductility and the strength of the part, and so that's what's really interesting. So, at first, when you look at the history of that, if they thought hipping wasn't for metals, hipping wasn't going to be necessary, and then we started learning that well, hipping improves the um, properties of the material for the part. And now, what we've, we've moved along and learned out hey, we just can't use traditional hip cycles, we have to use a unique hip cycle or what we call today, high-pressure heat treat. You're starting to hear that term a lot, where we can stress hip, uh, anneal, and age in the hip and certain hips, like the Quintus hip here. And so that's starting to take place now. I can't use a traditional hip cycle on some of the materials I'm printing with. I have to u- create my own unique unique, customized hip cycle, which is really interesting when you, when you look at the market. So it depends who you ask and you talk to. Some will love hey, I'd like to get away from hipping, but you said so nicely. When I do hip some of this material, it performs better, but it comes down to what's, what am I printing the part for and what's the application? And so it always comes down to what's the application of the part and what environment is that part going to be in? And we all know that hipping or high pressure heat treat hipping can improve that part.
0: And so walk us through kind of the, the process that a, uh, a, a company that's printing metal parts, they... They've got a, a part that's ready to um, go into production. Um, they know that hipping is going to be, or is going to be a part of that process. What do they do? So they, they print the part. Do they send the whole bill play to you? Is it kind of a a thing that you work with them to kind of refine their recipe? What? How does that usually work when when you're doing uh, something uh, for production?
1: All three. It depends yeah. where they're at with the part. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I have seen it multi-ways. I've said I have, I printed this part, first time I put it into testing, it failed, can you help us out? And then we do the uh, post-processing in the hip or, or vacuum furnace or something of that nature, then send the part back on the build plate. Hey, the part did better, we have that scenario. Or we'll get a request saying, hey, we're thinking about using this material for this application, this part, what do you recommend? And they pull us in earlier, which is always beneficial for both parties because you haven't printed that part yet, you don't have that high scrap rate yet. Or thirdly, hey, we're doing some prototyping here, some dog bones. We want to talk to you about this, and what do you recommend? So you, you see all three depending on the project. What, what's always prefers to work the best so far, have I seen in my career, is you pull in a little earlier if you're not sure of the material and, and the part and how you're printing it. And what post pro, processing do I need to do? That always seems to benefit the customer the most.
0: And it seems often, this isn't unique to metal added manufacturing, but um, certainly in the polymer space that the further you get into it and the closer you want to get to production there's more of the onion that needs to be (laughs) discovered by the users who think hey we're going to buy a machine even if it's a a million dollars or one and a half million dollars that it's going to be making parts next day or next few weeks but then you start to uncover oh like hey i I need to go through all the testing i need to get all the materials uh, spec'd out i need to there's this whole level of post-processing that I haven't even thought about and it's got to tie into my design and how I'm doing all that and there's timing involved. So where, what's your experience on kind of the, the overall, I'd say, um, understanding of the supply chain for, for many of the users that, that you see these days and how has that evolved over the last few years?
1: I would say it's getting better. And the reason it's getting better is a lot of the association of trade shows, a lot of conversation about supply chain ecosystem how to support additive. In the beginning, it was not as robust. It was, hey, I have this part, I have this powder, I bought this printer, I wanna make something. In today's environment, at least what I see is we're the post processors thermal processors were being pulled in earlier to ask us our opinion, how would you manage this? Which is great, because a lot of expertise is out there in material, remember this is powder, right? And in, in, in hipping and, and post-processing, we've been dealing with powder forever. So it's kind of nice that we get pulled a little earlier to work with with the teams on that. But it also depends on the engineer who's working on the project or the design engineer on their comfort level of of material and post-processing. We can get get some customers who give us unbelievable specs, unbelievable asks, if you will, can you run this in in the perfect cycle for the material? And then you get the one not as well well trained in, in a material engineer, hey, can you help us with this? So... We see both, but I've seen more and more that they're pulling us forward earlier to assist, which is beneficial, especially on the prototyping and in the testing.
0: And are there specific materials that you like to to, to focus on at, at the company these days, or is it all across the board?
1: You're asking a guy who likes h- hipping and heat treating, so anything metal I can put in my furnaces is fun, <laughs> but a, a lot of titanium, alloys, uh, Inconel, stainless steel, seeing a lot of aluminum right now powder, a lot of aluminum is really taken off. Um, we're seeing a lot of that on the hipping side. On the traditional vacuum heat treat side, every every alloy you can think of that goes through the heat treat process we see because we braise as well. So, you know, we braise heat treat and hip all underneath one roof. So, we see all types of material across the spectrum.
0: And how, like, maybe just take a step back in terms of talk specifically about kind of the company and like how how does it work like where you're kind of working you have a lot of different clients across industries across geographies and you kind of have a number of technologies you bring in-house to to do heat heat treatment or or different uh post-processing applications to to those what's what's a kind of overview kind of 30,000 foot view of the company and how's what? well we no, know we're
1: we're we're a, we're quite a, we're, we're a small company and a large corporation i mean we're has been around since 1989, was founded basically in a garage up in New Hampshire and grew from there with the Francis Brothers. Uh, started a garage, opened up shop in New Hampshire, opened up a second shop here in um, South Carolina, then opened up another shop in Connecticut, then added hip and stuff of that nature. So that's kind of the, the history of, of the private ownership of the company. They were purchased by Albers Group, second largest uh, uh, post processors in the world back in oh, 2006, I believe, something of that nature. I look at the data. So our portfolio is huge. So what's interesting, we're accurate brazing but we're part of the Albert Surface Technology Group. We have such a large brand globally and regionally that people, SEO search and stuff. they find us and they, and they go to our website and say, hey, what can you help us with? But I like to tell the customers, ask us what we don't do as a group. So I have numerous sister companies that I can refer to to help on some form of post-processing being You know uh, we do the vacuum heat treating brazing and hipping here have a a machine shop down the street have a coating company down the street have traditional heat treat shop up the street so it's best to ask us what we don't do so what customer finds us they they say hey we're looking at this project can you support us in this project and then we just take it from there because again if it's not underneath our roof here at accurate brazing one of our sister companies in the alberts group we can refer them to so our ecosystem is really broad really deep for our customers so it's a if you want to say term, one-stop one shop, that's where we are.
0: And it's a mix, as you mentioned, between kind of doing that early prototyping, R&D, kind of short runs, kind of one-offs, two-offs, all the way to production. Is that right?
1: Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we, we don't know. Actually, we go from um, tensile bars, right? Pre-prototype, all the way to production. Traditional and legacy parts.
0: And how is, uh, I mean, kind of getting back to that the idea of supply chain within the the additive ecosystem i mean one of the things that it's getting better as you as you mentioned but i, I can kind of continuously observe is just this the number of pieces that are required to make get a part to production i think we had a a conversation with um a guy in the medical school space a, a few weeks ago saying yeah like of our titanium implants that we're making we have maybe 20% of the time is spent in the the actual machine itself and in the, in the mm-hmm. printer. And then the rest of it is post-processing, whether it's machining, whether it's heat treat, whether it's measurement inspection. And so kind of from where you're sitting, like how has the evolution of additive and getting better materials that get closer to matching production requirements, how has that kind of changed your business or how do you see it changing in, in the overall kind of, fitting into the overall additive supply chain? Is it is it, is it moving ahead? Is it uh, stalled? Where where do you see it?
1: Well, it, it depends on um, the material and the customer. Again, what's nice about our group is that we have most of it in-house, underneath one roof. So we can definitely support the customer or we have a, a neighbor or sister company nearby. I do hear stories where you get, hey, it been a machine, but I have to take it to heat treat, take it out, go get it hit, take it out cut it off the plate, go get stressed, take it out. And that does add to the, to the length of, of the product. Again, as more of us progress as post-processors or thermal processors, we have to make investments, which we do here, to support that customer. If there's a need and it makes a good business case, we'll make that, that um, investment to support that customer. So again, our goal as a team here at Acura Brazing is everything underneath one roof, being casting or brazing or additive, how we can support you. And that's our goal. So we will make the investment as a group. That's kind of one of our marching orders is support the customer. If that's an investment that makes sense for the customer and supports the supply chain, we make that investment. So it depends how you, as you get to know your customers and what they're looking for, and you have these conversations, you share with them what we offer. And if it's a good fit, it could take some of that pain away from them, especially in the lead time, You know, especially when we're trying to go from print to fly, print to install, print, you know, print to build, There's there's that lead time. And it is expensive to try to bring all this technology into one roof. I mean, when you talk about hipping and and heat treating and printers, it can get very expensive. So what's nice about we understand that here at Accrid Brazing. So we try to try to take on some of that responsibility for them by supplying the technology that they need.
0: And one of the things that uh, we're developing software that kind of t- tracks some of the quality chain, like the, the interesting thing that, that we've, we've seen is like, how do all of these different touch points of an additive part, starting from the material or even the design all the way to kind of finish tested part, kind of talk to one, one another? So how, how are you seeing kind of the communication between customers keeping track of all the data saying, okay, Hey, we had these 25 tensile bars in all different orientations. You guys are going to do some of the thermal cycling, some of the hipping, some of the kind of early R and D, and then kind of send it back to us. Are are people figuring it out in terms of how to connect all of these kind of distinct physical steps in the real world with kind of the digital data that they're using to make decisions.
1: It's funny If you saw my whiteboard right now, we're kind of discussing that, but that, that decision tree, What's nice here, we may, we're again, with our team, we're very conscious of that, and we have upfront conversations right away with the customer and with quality and stuff being in the same building. What's nice here is our hips in one building, you go 90 feet, you have your vacuum department, and your heat treat department. So that part, touch point is dock, quality checks it in, we approve it, take it through the process, quality double checks it, get stand approval and send it out that's our process here. So it is approved, but again, it depends on the, um, the vendor you're working with. I can't speak for all, but what's nice is technology, right? Software, um, looking at some of the ERP systems, stuff of that nature, it makes it a little bit quicker with the travelers checking everything off. I would say where we still have a little delay is you get a request on the spec, how they want to post-process quality engineer looks at it and say, Hey, we have a better idea. Do you want to try this? It's getting that conversation to have a little quicker. We, we feel here from experience, we can help you with this by using this post-process treat cycle or hip cycle versus what you're presenting. Hopefully that will benefit you on the back end of your testing, make your testing better. So we do insert ourselves occasionally with the customer from experience. Hey, we've seen this before. We have experience with this before. We're here to help. We'll make a recommendation and something that customers say, hey, I'd like to try it. And if it works out, it saves them a lot of money because they pass their testing or pass their test. They can move over to next level being production, whatever. So it's improving. We're getting better, better software, as you spoke, spoke with from the, the AM customers producing better parts and better technology And we're post-processing and better technology now by using high pressure heat, treat hip and stuff of that nature.
0: And maybe for those who are, maybe be useful just like at, at, as you mentioned, you like to start kind of early ideal situation. You start early with a customer trying to kind of be engaged in the conversations of kind of part design or, or maybe even just start from the beginning, like where, where is a good starting point for where some of your customers like to bring you into the process of, of developing a product. Is it kind of before testing, before they buy them the printer, even like where, where are they kind of bringing you in and, and how does that typically evolve into like some timing until you finally get a part to put in, in one of your hips.
1: That's a great question. It depends on the customer and the application of the part. Um, I have been in meetings where I would see a drawing on a napkin for thinking this material, what, what do you think we should do? Or, Hey, we have, um, already designed drawn out. Here's the part, here's the out of the way. Do you have any experience with this? Have you, have you ran parts off this printer? Do you have experience with this powder? Um, so, again, it's such a it's such a uh, buffet. It depends on who you're working with. I personally like hey, the beginning of the project. Here's what we're thinking. Um, here's what we like to do. What do you think? What experts can you bring in? Not just ourselves, but community experts that we work with on a daily basis. Testing, software, lab, whatever. And how should we move forward on this project? Again, we like we like to be pulled in early. That's where we see the most success but it's okay if we come in late to help out sometimes it just takes a project a little bit longer and we all understand the cost of development of powder, development of product we all understand that so the quicker we can get that customer to production or to do that and back to the customer that's what we prefer
0: and what sorts of methods of inspection or testing do you have to make sure that whatever you're trying is working? Is it just, is it mechanical testing? Is it looking at CT at that level? What, what sorts of, like, how do you know you're successful with the part? Is it with, with what you're doing?
1: So that's a great question. So that's so internally we have basic testing, mechanical stuff, a CT stuff we have to sub out. But again, if we're pulled in earlier and if it's an alloy we've worked with before and we've seen before, we can really coach the customer on, Hey, from our, from our experience, this is what we've seen and coach the customer towards the correct thermal cycle for that material to give them success on the back end. Um, we do we do no CT or stuff here. We, again we have a vendor or we work with our, within the company that we partner with, or a lot of our customers, they want that that product not to be test by us, but be test by a third party, which makes sense. So, and I agree with that. You know, let's take it outside the thermal processor's hand, let the third party test that part, which is always a good way to go. Um, so again, but basically, what you see on the spec and what alloy you're working with. Well, all we can do is coach. Um, we try not to tell the customer what to do because they're doing their own trials. We always can lead them down that path, but at the end of the day, it's the customer's final decision on how they want to run that part.
0: And I'm not super familiar with this, but like in terms of proprietary of recipes for mm-hmm. different titanium, is it is that is that similar to what I mean? We're kind of seeing a change over on the machine side and kind of how people are printing parts. Where okay, your process parameters for your laser and your layer thickness and all your energy density people really like, uh, wanted to hold on to that in terms of like that's their bread and butter, that's their secret sauce. But then at the same time, you get all these big companies sending those third-party testers, all the same tensile bars made of all the same parameters and everyone's kind of doing the same thing. Um, you see starting to break through that a little bit now with some standards organization trying to make. Yeah, you're starting to see the standards these, come out but, in,
1: in AM where, you, where but, we're sharing the post-processing yeah. cycles, which is, which is good. Um, there are some customers that we work with NDAs and IP will, that data would never be shared. Right, so it, it depends what goes out to, to print, but the way you know we live on NDA, so we never disclose who is what where. It just we just use our expertise and here's what we've seen. We never dispose or disclose, if you will, whose part did what where. Then we you'll never survive as a company if you did that. But as it goes out in standards, it's public knowledge.
0: Right, yeah, and it's always a balance. It seems like there's there's more opportunities for kind of applications in some of these technologies, but as as the the upfront cost and time to get it to a point where you're at a GE level or striker or some of these mm-hmm. folks that have spent decades at this point on manipulating the technology and manipulating the post-processing, getting all the recipes done. It just takes a while. So it's that balance between, okay, when is it, uh, what is our competitive advantage or, and and how long does it take for, for someone to catch up <laughs> to, to do it? Right. Um
1: I've been watching this for a few years now. It's quite interesting to watch the, the uh, conversations take place. Like you said, everybody's looking for the secret sauce. Um, at the end of the day, it is, uh, it's thermal cycles. It's, it's, it's what we do. It's what we run. It's tipping. But if a customer, you know, you'll get that spec, you know, customer A, B, C, D with their number on it, that's their hip cycle. It's never disclosed. Uh, again, it goes to publication it's, or to a spec. So it's, it's, just, it's just the best way to do business. But again, if you pull us in early, pull the team in early, uh, and, and all the experts, we can always help shape that that narrative, help build that story for you, and get you to market quicker.
0: And over the the time you've been involved with with additives specifically on this part of the business, like what's what's one of your biggest takeaways? How have you seen kind of the the general trend of? of the new of the technology evolve is it if it is to continuing to accelerate are people kind of hunker down trying to find those right niche applications like where is it kind of now and as it as a as a hype technology now that it's been out for at this point kind of number of decades
1: yeah with well, what the first AI machine was in 1989 19 yeah, yeah almost so, four decades yeah yeah it's been been fun to watch right it's been fun to to be part of i i always say what it gets me excited when I go to rapid or Amug or one of the trade shows, you just see more and more vendors, more and more companies, smaller companies really stepping out in front with this technology with some new alloys and new printers. Um, I would say we're still, I want to call it, don't take the wrong way. It's still a wild, wild west, right? We, we know we can print apart. Uh, we've known from the GE stories and the Airbus stories and and some of the stuff Honeywell's done we can print. We go to production, we do good production runs and Striker. Now, how can I get to big parts? How can I get to those large, large parts? That's fun to watch. Watch the printers get bigger and bigger. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed watching that. Um, the only question I say is, as like, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, how are we going to post-process them? Where are we going to put them? How are we going to handle them? Uh, just like the casting days. I mean, you're really, you're looking at, at us right now where the casting world or the mid-world was. They're really just taking off with their technology and, and different alloys. And how can we apply these alloys to, to different... Um, business adventures, if you will. And it's a, it's a blast to watch. I really enjoy going to the egg mugs and the rapids and just go to the presentations to hear the conversations and see what we're doing with additive. Now you have, you know, in the firearm industry taken off and now you're going, auto racing is really adapting one-off, as you will, for, for additive, which is so much fun to watch. Um, I enjoy because, you know, what's great about our job is, is well, as I see it, I go on a field trip almost every day. I get to go on a field trip. I'm a sixth grader every day, getting off the yellow school bus, walk into a corporation or a company. I'm putting these two machines now. Here's what I'm doing. What do you think of it? it's like? Wow, this is fascinating. As the powders get better and the and, and the machines get better and the, and and the printers get faster, right? Faster and bigger. It's so exciting to watch. The question is, where's the end? I mean, how big are we going to get? I mean, that's going to be that's going to be the the fun question. I mean, we're getting these one-meter parts by one-meter plates. We got some big parts coming out of these printers. So the only thing that's going to hold back additive is, is the technology. How quickly can I build it? I don't know how well I can build it. And this scalability of affordability, right? Can I afford to go bigger? Is there a market to support it? And just like in, in the post-process, is there a market? You could have the greatest technology, but is there a market that really wants to uh, burden that cost with you? A new on a new uh, technology so that's where I see if anything's given a yellow light not a red light that would be it but I always like watching also the debates on uh, testing as you said earlier all the testing now how do we test it how do we prove it some of these parts we can not even get a scan for them're so they're so big they're so healthy uh, it's a great problem to have right so I think additives here and technology is going to catch up especially the testing is going to catch up to it and then once the testing catches up I don't know if we'll
0: push, they'll push the boundaries again. And so as part of the conversations that I I have with folks, I like to kind of give people some insight of kind of a day in the life. So would you, would you like to kind of pick an, a random day, pick an average day for (laughs) what you do and, and just describe kind of what uh, the, the sorts of things you're seeing and kind of do kind of field trips, as you said, but like, what's, what's an average day? What are the kind of skills that you're putting into into use every day for for folks who are maybe just starting their career and looking to kind of get some some insight on oh, what skills they they may need to have to to be successful.
1: You know, I always go back to the cartoon door door. Of the explorer. You have to be willing to go out there and just just kick up some dirt and go into go into factories or customers and just learn, just absorb, absorb, absorb. And you're new to this business. I mean, you got to think. You know, thermal processing. We're making that change is we're a very tenured group of individuals, a lot of tribal knowledge. And then you have us younger guys coming in that just doesn't have as much tribal knowledge. So we're trying to pull their tribal knowledges from from the old days with new tribal knowledge from our days and mesh them together. (laughs) It's it's interesting to do because in this industry, a lot of this is on-the-job training, on-the-job learning. You have to work on the floor. You have to work in the lab to understand what you're working with. So my average day... Um, I'm a nerd, right? So I like to get up. I have certain LinkedIn pages I go to, certain articles I go to, the AM magazine, and all those. I like to see what's going on. And then, of course, customers' requests for proposals come in or requests for support. You have to go through those. Then you have to do your customer visits, uh, meet with your customers and work with them on their projects. And then, of course, we are in the business of, of selling something or removing something, so you always have the sales process working through your quotes, negotiating your quotes, closing your quotes, and then you gotta get it into production, working with your production team, operations, and then after they're done with the part to make sure the part gets out to the customer. So there's a lot of balls in the air for, for us in our profession. Cause we're a small group here at are grazing for, for what we do, they're, we're very, I wanna say elite, we're a very lean team here. And I'm involved in the marketing, with our marketing manager, we're involved in trade shows We're, as you know, Mike and I run through each other a long time, we're always bouncing around. So there's no boring days. So someone who wants to jump in this business, just go back to your days. Not be scared to ask questions. There's no mistakes. If you're when you're learning, go to the experts. Don't be embarrassed to say, hey, what are you using that part for? What do you, what's that application for? Um, some really great thought leaders out here and I could put a, throw a bunch of names out here right now. I just I'll be, There's so many. Every single show I go to, I'm one of the first ones into the talks. You know, you know If I go to... MUG, or Rapid, or um, ms or any of the shows. If there's, a, if there's a, is there a talk you're interested in, make that investment, go in there and learn and listen to the experts. And don't be scared to go up to those esper- experts and ask questions because they like to teach too. You know, we work a lot of the national labs. I get a chance to go to some of the national labs and just really talk to the world experts in a certain material and have a chance to have a dialogue. And just be willing to absorb as much knowledge as you can. You'll never know enough so that's the great thing about, it. you're always learning in this industry. At least I am. And it's not a boring day. I don't know between trade magazines and textbooks that I read or just articles that are printed. A lot of great things come on content now. A lot of the um, PhD students and universities doing great work in Additive and you can really pick up some really interesting trends. That's just, that's kind of my average day. I know I kind of went all over the place, but it's an average day for me, it's probably 10 to 12 hours. And, but it, it doesn't feel like 10 to 12 hours. It just feels like, it's just had lunch, and it's exciting. So, and I, I want to see more and more young people get interested in thermal processing or post processing because it's really fascinating. I mean, when you think about it, it's blacksmithing, right? I mean, everybody watches Forge of Fire. It's just a fancy Forge of Fire. I mean, you got a great opportunity to really see some amazing products. See how the, see how those, this how this country moves, how it's made, and you have a chance to be part of that process. And how exciting it is that every day I go home, there's a different story to share when my kids ask me a question or dad, what did you do today? I mean, I'm so privileged in our industry just to interact with some of these world experts on this material. I mean, every time I get in a plane, I don't know about you, I still smile. I still smile when the engine starts. I know somewhere in that engine, our team touched that part or the landing gear or the fuselage or the seat. I mean, how, how can you not be excited?
0: That's awesome. And, and so, I mean, talk a little bit more like so some of those young people that are maybe coming into your company like what sorts of backgrounds are they having like what are you guys looking for when when you're kind of building the team out especially on folks on the younger side that are are just getting their toe in
1: you know what's exciting to see is when you get a between operations and business development it's two different but now we, we cross over right so it's exciting when you get a young engineer comes in he or she they want to learn first on the floor working with the team with the vacuum furnaces and the brazing and the hipping, And then they wanna go into quality. Then they wanna dip their toe into business development, working with customers on specs and quality. Then they wanna branch out and be a key account manager. And that's kind of the progression. Or you get a, a young individual like myself who doesn't have a material background, you come on the business development side and then you switch over and start learning about materials. So you have both, both avenues you can take. And that's what's nice about uh, post-processing or thermal process. There's So many different areas of, the, of a company you can work with in and you can grow. You can go into maintenance, you can go into operations, you can go into safety. Depends what you want to do. So when an individual comes here, it's just a smorgasbord. Hey, what do you want to take a look at? What do you want to try? What do you want to learn? Put them into that, that department that he or she learned that, you know, become well-educated. At it. Do you want to move on to the next level? Like we have some quality managers really enjoy going out talking with customers. They just really like going on site, doing the site visits. That's just exciting for them in their development. So it depends. If you're coming in with a business degree, you can start in the business side, marketing the business and, and prospecting and stuff that nature. If you come on the engineering side, material side or, or quality side, you'll, you'll master that and you'll move over to the business side if you like. Because that's kind of been my path. Yeah.
0: And that one of the things that I've noticed certainly over the last five, 10 years is the diversity, at least certainly in the US of like how many different Additive is happening all over the place. It doesn't. <laughs> it's okay. in big cities. It's in not super big cities to, per se. A lot of the production, but just all across the board and right. different states. And and so from from young people I talk to and meet, it's like, hey, like you get into this, you get a good skill set. Like oh. you can kind of work wherever you want, geography wise, because there's stuff there's stuff happening. It's 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 moving. You know, I
1: tell I tell every young person in this industry, being on the uh, side or the thermal processing side. I've done business development, I've done project manager, right? You know, equipment install, selling equipment, go to the site. I've worked a little bit in operations with my operational background. I mean, learn a little bit about materials, still learning a lot about materials, but you know, specs, NACAP, ITAR, how to get these approvals. You're, there's a customer I'm thinking back to Uh, One of my young engineers started a larger corporation to start a new additive company, and he told me he's having so much fun because he's going from buying the equipment, being the project manager, doing the install. He 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 made a statement. I didn't understand how much argon costs. I had to purchase it myself. You know, just (laughs) I mean something as simple as that. Yes, that gas is expensive. So it's just exciting him. He's a under thirty, I believe, and he's doing. He's taking all this on as a thirty year old. He was an AM engineer and now he is a director of additive as a 30-year-old bring it into a company, which I just excited to hear him talk. How excited he is. And it's it's fun to learn all those skill sets. You get a better appreciation of what all of us go through. I mean, I think about my customers who get a new machine, buy some powder, they're making their first part, and all the trial and error that they face. You know, doing that, going down that path with them and helping them and watching them develop, and seeing become a larger company and see them get purchased by another company. That's always, if that's what they like, that's always fun to watch.
0: And so we're a little bit more than halfway through 2022. What, what is uh, on your radar? What's exciting for, for, or what are you looking forward to the next uh, few months of, of the year?
1: You know, it's like aerospace is opening back up and it's really, it's nice to see and um, seeing more and more aerospace parts coming back to production. It's always nice to see here in the United States. Um, second half of this year, what well, I'm excited about, it. I had a lot of our team had a lot of um, prototyping parts earlier in the year. Now they're coming to possibly production, and that's really fun to watch and see in the space and aerospace application. It's so nice to see this idea we started back in December or January, and we, we got through the process as a team. Now we're seeing production parts. So the question in 23-24, will we see them actually in use? That's what I'm excited about in the additive. I'm really excited to see some of these larger printers that we've heard about or some of the parts we're seeing, start seeing some of those parts come off those printers and put them in the post-process, see how they behave. That's going to be exciting to see. And some of the alloys that you're seeing from the space companies that they're working with, uh, the, the great space race, I call it, everybody's in the space race. It's nice to see what's taking place there as well. So the second half of this year, hopefully see more uh, parts, that you will, come from that, um, that application.
0: Well, Craig, I really appreciate the conversation today and uh, look forward to seeing you in person in a few weeks. And I'm sure one of the upcoming trade shows. <laughs> Thanks, my man. I appreciate it. Have a great day.
1: Thank you for your